When I wrote the first line of my sermon, I have to confess, I was not thinking very specifically about the testimony that you would have heard a few moments before. And so now when I say, do you know anyone who loathes going to the doctor? There's probably an obvious candidate in all your minds. But apart from Esther, I think we'll know someone. We'll know someone who has been to the doctor perhaps more times than they would wish, someone who doesn't like to go there. And it's a high probability that that person in your mind is a man. But the aversion to getting medical help isn't just exclusively a male issue, it's very common. And I consulted a survey done in 2019 by Co-op Health, which consulted with UK adults, and two-thirds of them indicated that at some point in their lives they had either delayed or put off entirely making a doctor's appointment when they knew that they should have gone. And amongst the reasons why they did that, 40% of the respondents said that they felt negative about going to see the doctor. 30% said they felt anxious. 15% said that they were afraid if they had gone, they would have bumped into someone in the waiting room that they knew and that it would have been a bit awkward. A whole variety of fears and feelings kept them from seeking necessary help. And while you and I would all sympathize with a person who's afraid of receiving bad news or afraid of being put into an embarrassing position, a great majority of the respondents did admit that their delay only made the problem worse, and they should have gone as soon as they realized that help was needed. There's another reason why people put off seeing their GP or going to the hospital, and no doubt you have detected it as the underlying cause of some of those other excuses, pride. I'm fine. I don't need any help. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm an independent person. I'm not going to be put off my feet for weeks. What about this? What about that? Who would take care of these things? I'm not a weak person. I'll take care of myself. In Matthew chapter 9, we read of Christ, the great physician, who returns from across the Sea of Galilee on the eastern shores where he had recently cast demons into the swine back to Capernaum, and here he was surrounded by people who knew him. But we find that as he gathers, he's not concerned with public image. He's not concerned with his reputation uh, with the great and good of society. Because in verse 10 of Matthew 9, we read that Christ and his disciples were joined at the dinner table by many publicans and sinners, the despised members of society, those who were estimated by religious types to be no good, low lifes, were welcome at the table with Jesus. And in fact, he had just called a publican named Matthew, a tax collector, to be one of his disciples. Look there at verse 9. And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom, and he saith unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. The Gospel of Luke teaches us that it was at Matthew's invitation then to come and feast that the Lord Jesus and his disciples had this opportunity with the needy part of the community to demonstrate their compassion, their lack of prejudice, and for this love, they once again were the objects of criticism. Verse 11, and when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, why eateth your master with publicans? and sinners. And our text this evening, the Lord Jesus Christ's reply in verse 12, but when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, they that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. Perhaps tonight, like these men, you're too proud to see the doctor. And that could be the case for any of us. And if the Lord uses me tonight to give you a little reminder, a gentle nudge in the right direction, that's fine. But you know, I didn't come here tonight to tell you to go and see your GP. 
I came here tonight to tell you about the physician of souls, the Lord Jesus Christ, who invites you to call on Him tonight. Don't be too proud to call the doctor. Notice in this text the problem that was denied. The Lord Jesus says in verse 12, they that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. We've all heard the stories of people who ring the paramedics for some silly reason, like they can't find the TV remote. Yes, this really does happen. Or people who turn up at A&E with mild ailments and they waste everyone's time. These people don't need medical attention. They're whole. They're able-bodied, and they need not a physician, as the Lord Jesus Christ says. It's a simple fact that He states. But His real meaning, of course, was spiritual. He was referring to those who considered themselves to be spiritually healthy, those who thought that they were spiritually whole and therefore saw no need to seek help. They didn't consider themselves to be spiritually ill. On the contrary, the humbler members of society, readily identified by these proud Pharisees and scribes as sinners, were not above seeking help. They were willing to admit that they had a problem. And when the Lord Jesus Christ, the compassionate teacher and healer, drew near, they came to Him and ate and drank with Him and fellowshiped with Him. And it's ironic, therefore, that the very people, the Pharisees and scribes, who were in denial about the state of their own souls, were able to correctly diagnose the illnesses of others. The Pharisees were correct when they called the publicans and sinners sinners because that's what they were. Romans 3.23 tells us, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But even as they did so, they were blind to their own condition, their own terminal condition, thinking there's nothing wrong with us. These people's lives are a mess. How could this man, this teacher, associate with them? Now, this is not to say that the Pharisees believed they were naturally without sin. Let's be clear about this. These were men who studied the Old Testament Scriptures in great depth, memorized large portions of it, and would have known verses like Psalm 14 and verse 1, there is none that doeth good. They knew that men were born in sin. They were not slow on other occasions to accuse the Lord Jesus Christ or His disciples of being guilty of sin. So why did they think they were different? Why were they denying their own problems? The answer is found in Luke 18 and verse 1. Let me read. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Rather than being honest and admitting that the disease of sin is beyond any self-administered care or cure, the Pharisees and the scribes, and perhaps some of you tonight, would rather pursue a course of works. You would rather busily engage in religious activity. You would rather champion charitable causes and do good to others. You would rather live according to the customs of the church, keep up friendships with the great and the good in religious circles, and appear to onlookers to be a good person, just like the Pharisees. You, like the Pharisees, therefore, are trusting in your own righteousness. You, like the Pharisees, can identify people whose lives are scarred and ruined by sin. You can call that person a sinner and perhaps be correct in doing so. And meanwhile, you're in denial about your own problems. You're self-righteous. You're of the impression that you are good enough to please God by your observance of some law. The self-religious, the self-righteous religious hypocrite was described by the Lord Jesus with a, a very unique word picture, an object lesson, you could say, for people who lived in His day, and it was that of the whited sepulcher. 
The commentator Albert Barnes explained what a a whited sepulcher was. It says in one of his commentaries on this passage that the tombs were annually whitewashed to prevent people from coming in contact with them. And it was in Matthew 23 and verse 27 where the Lord Jesus used this phrase when He said, "'Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity." A hollow shell, an empty profession. Is that all you have tonight? Be honest before God. Don't be in denial about your problem of sin. Salvation is not by works. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The Pharisees prided themselves in their observance of the law and thought that by this they would gain heaven. They thought that by their works they would please God, but they were in denial of this fact that no mere man can perfectly and satisfactorily keep the law of God. And this was illustrated in the case of the adulterous woman. Turn over with me to John's gospel and chapter 8. John chapter 8, where we read of a woman accused by the Pharisees, and they bring her to the Lord Jesus. And in John 8 and verse 3, we read, And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. Here in this passage, the same men who would have condemned the woman to death for her sin were forced to admit that they too were guilty of serious and scandalous sin. If not the physical act of adultery, then certainly adultery within the heart. So the Bible says, They which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one. The Pharisees who prided themselves on keeping God's law very strictly had no choice but to admit that they were sinful, that they were guilty before God. This is your problem also, sinner. You're guilty before God, and whoever you are, your best works, your best efforts are unacceptable to Him because we all are originally and wholly wicked in the sight of God. Nothing we do is free from the stain of sin. Nothing we do is free from its contamination because we are each shapen in iniquity. Romans 5 and verse 12, death came upon all men for that all have sinned. And yet this fatal problem, this terminal condition was denied by the Pharisees and the scribes. Earlier we read Luke 18 and verse 1, but I didn't read the whole verse. Let me read it now. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. 
Here we see pride. Here we see pride at work in the heart of the Pharisee who exalts, that exalts self and puts others down, that thinks much of self and thinks little of anyone else. Why is it that people do not call the doctor? Why is it that you, sinner, have yet failed to call upon the Lord Jesus Christ, the great physician? It is possibly and probably that you deny your own problems, but it is, secondly, that you despise the physician. Notice with me the physician that was despised. Look back in Matthew chapter 9. We read, they that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I might be speaking to some doctors tonight or other people in the medical profession. To be a doctor requires that a person with considerable ability apply themselves for years to the study of medicine. And then beyond that, to be a respected doctor in a local community requires faithful years of tending to the needs of your patients and upholding ethical practices like those described in the Hippocratic Oath. The trusted community doctor, he's a pillar of that little community. She is a pillar of that village or that town, an esteemed member of the society, as was illustrated to me recently when I heard of one doctor in rural Northern Ireland back some years ago who delivered a baby and then was formed, we're naming it for you. Doctors are respected. Doctors are not despised. Good doctors are appreciated, sometimes loved by many. So why was Jesus Christ, the, great, the greatest physician, so despised by the Pharisees and the scribes. He was, as Isaiah says, despised and rejected of men. But let me show you from this passage, it was not for the lack of power. He was despised, but not for the lack of power. You see, unlike doctors, Christ never trained in a school of medicine, and yet his skill as a physician is still unsurpassed. He did not follow the path of specialists and consultants who complete years of study and gain experience in very specific applications, and yet he performed that role and was able to heal those who would still be beyond the capabilities of modern science. Matthew 9 and verse 6, you see Jesus Christ saying, the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He had power like no doctor ever had. He had the supernatural power of God, for he was the Son of God. And therefore, he, the Word made flesh, was able to cure blindness. He was able to cure palsy and lameness and leprosy and deafness and speech impediments. And as it says in Matthew 4, all manner of sickness. He really did this. There were people, hundreds, perhaps thousands of people, walking around in the time of Jesus Christ who had been healed by him walking testimonies. Why would such a physician be despised? Why would he be rejected? Especially when we consider the scope of his ministry and we realize that as the Bible tells us, it reached beyond the physical kind of ailments. He dealt with mental illness. He dealt with those who were tormented. He cast out devils. He banished demons from the possessed, leaving those people in their right mind. And so many of them then went out into the country back to their friends and family and told them what the Lord had done he was a true healer, unlike those now who claim to be able to heal those part of the word faith movement who merely exploit poor, desperate people for their own financial gain. Not the Lord. He never left people in greater despair than, that, than they came to Him. He truly healed. There were multitudes who could testify to the healing power of Jesus of Nazareth, and even yet, even after all this, He was despised. 
The Lord has all power. Sinner, I can tell you tonight in the authority of Scripture, he has the power to heal your soul. Will you come to him? Will you not despise him, but trust him? The Lord Jesus Christ was despised and rejected by men, but not for the lack of power and not for the lack of knowledge. You and I would never trust a doctor who didn't know what he was talking about. We'd be out of there quickly and telling everyone, stay away from him. He's dangerous. He'll do you harm. He's not qualified to advise you. But this was not the case with Jesus Christ. Look at Matthew 9 and verse 4. The scribes have muttered to themselves, but Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, wherefore think ye evil? in your hearts. Here's the knowledge of Jesus Christ, the one who is God, the one who therefore has omniscience, all knowledge, divine omniscience. He lacked no knowledge. And yet, Acts 1 and 24, he who was described as the one who knoweth the hearts of all men was despised. His challenge to these men, the scribes, was in response to the allegation of blasphemy, and he refutes it by demonstrating a knowledge that only God could have the knowledge of a person's thoughts. And then, to put it beyond all doubt, he worked a miracle, and yet they continued to despise him. You'll notice that in Matthew 9 and verse 11, he was referred to by the Pharisees, speaking to the disciples as your master. The word master means teacher. This was a title given to the Lord Jesus, not only by his disciples, but also by the scribes and the Pharisees on numerous occasions, recognizing his flawless knowledge and his understanding of the Old Testament Scriptures. He was a master of the law. For some centuries now, those who attain to a certain degree in theological studies might receive the title Doctor of Divinity. The Lord Jesus Christ was the divine doctor, and there's a huge difference. He was the great physician. And therefore, he was entitled to tell the Pharisees and scribes in verse 13, go ye and learn what that meaneth. And then he quotes from the book of Hosea, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Go and study the Old Testament, he tells them, the professed wise men. You don't really understand it. You don't understand that God looks for the penitent heart and rejoices to have mercy upon the one who sees that he or she is a sinner and needs the mercy of God. This wasn't enough for the self-righteous scribes and Pharisees. Their sin was blinding them to his divine person. They continued to doubt and despise him, but not for any want of power, not for any lack of knowledge, nor could they identify in Jesus Christ any lack of love. Look at Matthew 9 and verse 2 and see how he speaks to a man who is described as sick of the palsy, lying on a bed, what does he say to him? Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. Aren't these loving words? Wouldn't it put you at ease if you went someday to your doctor, your local doctor, a bundle of nerves concerned about your health, and he could truthfully and authoritatively, in all accuracy, tell you, be of good cheer? How wonderful that would be. No doctor can do that. But the Lord Jesus could say truthfully to this ill man, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. No lack of love in Christ. How wonderful. Matthew 9 and verse 22, the passage that we, uh, we were singing in hymn 240, he speaks to the woman with the issue of blood that he had, she had been diseased with for 12 years. 
And he came to her, and as she touched the hem of his garment, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. See the love of Christ for weary, sick sinners. There's no lack of love in him. To this woman, as far as she was concerned, from her perspective, Jesus was a stranger, a man whom she had not met before, but she was greeted warmly because his heart was filled with love for the sinner. His heart was filled with love for the one who needed to be healed, not only from her illness, but also from her sin. Matthew 9 and verse 36, at the end of the chapter, we read, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. When we truly examine the life of Jesus Christ and honestly examine him, our conclusion must be, as Pilate said, I find no fault in this man. I find no lack of any good thing in him, no want, no sin. All fullness dwells in him. Friends, there is no reason tonight for you to despise this divine doctor. There is no reason for you to reject him and his offer of salvation that he presents to you through his word tonight, for he truly is and was without fault. He truly has no lack of anything. Let me turn with you to Isaiah's prophecy, chapter 53, and let me show you his infinite love. As we see him in Isaiah 53 described in this way, verse 3, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Who is the despised one? It's the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior, the healer, the master of the law, the one who went about doing good, whose works, whose miracles could not possibly be recorded. They are too many. We read on in Isaiah 53, and it says in verse 4, Surely he hath borne our griefs, see the love of Jesus Christ to the sinner, and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Where else would you find a doctor who would take upon himself the punishment that you were owed, who would take upon himself your illness and the pain and the suffering of your disease. The Lord Jesus Christ took our sins. The Lord Jesus Christ takes sin. He bore his, he bore, the Bible says, speaking of the Christian, bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Sinner, this is the one. He is the only one who can heal you from all your diseases, as that last hymn put and set your soul free. By his wounds, by his stripes, Christ paid the ransom, the price to free our souls. He pardoned. He, he bought the pardon for our souls there at the cross as those stripes were laid upon him, as he was inflicted with wounds. See his love for sinners. See how he paid the price for our redemption. And then as we return to Matthew 9, a final thought this evening, I want you to see the prescription that was delivered. What did Jesus Christ say to the multitudes? What did he even say to those who had treated him so poorly and despised him and doubted him and opposed him in their hearts? To the, the, the scribes and Pharisees, he offered the message of salvation to them the same as anybody else. He told them, go ye and learn what that meaneth. 
Go and study the Scriptures and come to a true understanding of the purpose of God for sinful men. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. I will have mercy. He was telling these men, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. I have come to offer mercy to them. And then he says in verse 12, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And this was the prescription that Christ had delivered to Matthew when he walked by Matthew's seat, collecting taxes and called out, follow me. What does it mean, follow Christ? It means to believe on him, to trust in him, that he is God and man, that he is the mediator between God and men, the one who can take away your sins, the one who has paid the price of sins. Follow me, he calls out to you tonight. This is his prescription to you. He called that sinful man to leave all and follow him, and by the grace of God, that's what Matthew did. And therefore, we see Matthew showing that he was obedient to the command of Christ. In Matthew, in Matthew 9 and verse 12, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Matthew left his sin. He left his sinful pursuits. He left his self-righteousness and all his personal ambitions, and he followed Jesus Christ. He heard the call, repent and believe the gospel. And it is our privilege tonight to issue the same call to you to point out to you that your greatest need, your deepest problem, is the problem of your sin. This you must not deny. And this good doctor, this great physician, you must not despise. You must not be like the scribes and Pharisees. He comes tonight again through His Word, by His Spirit, to call you to repentance, to call you to trust in Him and to believe in His Word. When Jesus said in verse 13, I will have mercy. He was saying that it is God's pleasure to save the unworthy and to have mercy upon the wicked. And to illustrate this, I read Psalm 51 and verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Isn't it wonderful that although sinners would despise the sinless and spotless lamb, yet God would not despise a, a guilty sinner who comes and trusts in him? So tonight, our plea to you is, do not despise the Lord Jesus. Do not reject His offer, and God will not despise you. Trust in Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. The verse of the hymn we sang earlier, I want to read it to you again. It puts it so well. Come, ye weary, heavy laden, bruised and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Not the righteous, not the righteous, but sinners, Jesus came to call. May God write His Word upon our hearts. In closing, could we please join together to sing the hymn number 95? We've read in Isaiah 53 how the Lord Jesus Christ was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Let's worship Him and give Him all the glory as we sing, Man of Sorrows, what a name! For the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah. What a Savior. If the Lord has spoken to you tonight through His Word, do not despise His offer. Do business with Him tonight. Come and speak to someone. Speak to Reverend Brown. Speak to a Christian friend that you know. And be cured in your soul.